What Isaiah prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus, if you are in Christ, you have noticed that those words are so true of Jesus. Hasn't he been wonderful counselor to you? Hasn't he been an everlasting father, a mighty God? And in a world greatly needing peace, hasn't he been the Prince of Peace? If he has been that for you, could you give Jesus an ovation of praise? We'll praise him forever because of who he forever is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you came to us 2,000 years ago in a manger, in a stable. You came to us and you came for us. You didn't have to, no one obliged to, but you came because you wanted us. You longed for the singing of your children to fill rooms like this, the rooms all over the country. And one day, the throne of God, we will be praising you forever. So you crossed the chasm of time between heaven and earth, the infinite one became an infant. Glory became a child. And we call him Jesus. So tonight we gather because you have made our lives new. You have cleansed our soul. You've given us eternal life, new life. And we are here to thank you. Thank you that you came to us and you came for us. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. And we all said together, amen, amen. As you're seated, would you look at somebody that you did not walk in the room with and wish them a Merry Christmas? Come on, let's do this. We're all friends and family here. So great to have you join us this evening now at our second service. We're so thankful that you are here. Where are all the kids at? All the kids in the room, make some noise today if you don't mind. Yeah. Look, the church I grew up in, if you were under like 30, you were considered a kid, so we're all a part of that. If this is your first time at a Bentry Christmas Eve service, so is it for me, so we're all in this together. My name is Lubin Abraham, and I get the joy of serving here as lead pastor. I'm so grateful that you have carved out this moment tonight just to be together with us. Um, it is going to be pretty hot outside, so I've heard that Santa's coming in with shorts and flip-flops, so kids have, have some ice water ready to go tomorrow morning when he shows up. And all of you joining us online, we're so grateful that you are here. We know that we've got members of our church traveling, and, and due to health caution, so many are joining us online. So let's give it up for those that are joining us tonight online. We're grateful to have you with us got a question for you. Have you ever been called the wrong name, like ever in your life? How many of you have ever been called the wrong name? Yeah, some of us in this room. Something eerie happens in us when we've been called the wrong name, right? Or if your name has been mispronounced, that's happened to me a few times, if your name has been mispronounced, something rises up inside of you and you so desperately want to correct it because your name is a part of who you are. It's part and parcel of your identity. It means something to you. Stacey and I, we have two amazing kids, and Avery is the oldest. She is five, and she's a sweet little girl. And her name means wise counselor or ruler. Wise counselor or ruler. Our son, Liam, he is two, and his name, Liam, means a strong-willed warrior and protector. 
So far, the strong world has come to true. That's true for sure. We're still waiting on the others. Now, you may wonder, well, does the name Libin have deep, profound meaning? Is it prophetic? What does it mean? I wish I could get up here and tell you the deep, profound name that I have and its meaning, but it actually is just a name. So here's the story, since we're all kind of getting together and hanging out. We're going to get to know each other really well. My brother is four years older than I, and uh, his name is Liju. And uh, when, he, when I was born, four years after him, he wanted my parents, who are also here tonight, he wanted my parents to name me the same exact name as him. <laughs> so they caved and they named me Lyju. I know you're thinking, this guy is a fraud. We don't even know his real name. Like that didn't show up in the background check or anything. So I was named something else before I was Libin. So they named me Lyju to be close enough to Lyju. He thought it was the same name. Well, it came time for me to start school. And we all went to the same school, and we're living in southern India at this time, and it had to be translated. My name had to be translated into English. Well, lo and behold, when they translated my name, Liju, into English, it was the exact same spelling as my brother's name, Liju. So the principal said to my parents, uh-oh, we got a problem. You got to change one of your kids' names. And the lot, because I was a younger one, fell on me. So they changed my name. Now, I don't know to this day why they didn't just change the spelling. They had to change my entire name. Talk about an identity crisis. Like you think you're one name, then you got to get used to a new name. So they, they, they decided to change my name. So I asked my mom and dad, like, how was it that you came to this decision to call me Libin? Was it birthed out of prayer and an imagination of who I would be in the world? And here's what they told me. They said they couldn't figure out what to rename me. <laughs> so they were standing outside on a porch, and a bus drives by. <laughs> Seriously, a bus drives by. And the bus company was called, you guessed it, Libin. <laughs> no prayer, no imagination, no searching into the etymology of this word, the origin of this word. I was named after a bus. So what I'm here to tell you is that I could have been very well called Greyhound, all right? Uh, <laughs> Greyhound Abraham is your pastor. If you don't have a meaning to your name, welcome to the club. You're joining me. But most often, names are meaningful. They are powerful. In fact, the name of a person, the meaning of that name can resurrect hope sometimes. It can give you something to hang on to. The meaning of a name is powerful. It can give us hope. As we were thinking about the power of names, we want to share with you a story of the Ford family and how a name that they had chosen for their son gave them something to hang on to. It resurrected hope in one of the darkest times of their life. So listen to the story of the Ford family. My name is Lisa Ford. I'm Stacy Ford. I really felt led that God had another baby in store. And so we just prayed about it and waited. And then um, all of a sudden, I found out that I was pregnant. And on Wednesday, April 21st, I was with a group of moms that we would meet once a week for coffee. Something didn't feel right. Well, that night I went to church and I felt something. And for a brief moment, I, I ran to the bathroom. I thought that I was bleeding heavily. 
And for a few seconds, I was relieved. Um, but very, very quickly, uh, my heart turned. I realized that, that my water had broke. And I was, like I said, about 16 weeks pregnant, rushed to the hospital. And they told me, you will lose the baby within two weeks because babies do not survive without amniotic fluid. And then that would be the end of that. Because I was not at 20 weeks, they would not admit me to the hospital even for care. So I went home on strict bed rest. I, every day, was heavily bleeding. Um, I was having contractions that would last anywhere from 45 minutes up to two hours, just a straight contraction. Um, my, my body was trying to get rid of my baby. And uh, I would have spiked fevers. I went and got a, uh, or had somebody bring me, because <laughs> I couldn't go anywhere, a baby name book. And I just was like, I need to find a name for him. And so I was going through names and um, I really liked the name Jaden. And it just kept popping up and it was just almost like God was leading me, Jaden. And so I looked up what the name meant. And the name means Jehovah has heard. And it just, like, this is my son. I had people literally all over the world praying for him. I made it to week um, about 23 and a half, 24, and I went septic. They decided this is it, uh, we're taking him. Um, and then I remember waking up and realizing that he was not in me anymore and not knowing if he was alive somewhere in the hospital. I did find out that he was indeed alive. He was on oxygen and so many machines. But they wheeled me in my bed and I got I got to see him. And he was a little over one pound and um, 12 inches long when you stretched him out to full length. <laughs> and just a little fighter. Um, the day after he was born, I uh, was in my bed in my hospital room and I I heard uh, code blue in NICU room 21 and I knew that that was my son's room and I knew what code blue meant and I with the sepsis in my body I was really sick but I was doing everything I can I could to get out of my bed and into the wheelchair that was across the room because I had to get to my son and about that time the nurse came running in and she put me in the chair along with the IVs. I had three IVs coming out of me and rushing me down. I went into the room and I looked up and it was just slow motion and the, the neonatologist was over my son giving him breaths and she just looked at me and literally she had sweat on her and she said, do you see what I'm doing to him? This is very painful. And she said, you need to hold him while he's still alive. And I asked her, I said, give me a percentage. What, what percent chance does he have? 5%, 10%, I, I need something. And she looked at me and she said zero. So they put him in my arms and I, I held him and prayed over him and cried. And then he flatlines. And I, I hear the, 
the sound of, of him that he had passed away. As I was holding my son, all of a sudden, close to 20 minutes passed and the beeping came back on. His heartbeats started back and the nurses and the doctor came rushing in and the doctor was like, leave him where he's at. <laughs> Something's working. And um, his color came back. And so the nurse that took pictures apparently came back in. And so I've got pictures, two pictures of him, one where he had passed away and one where he is, his color had come back. And we spent about half a year in the NICU. Um, and even then we were told, you know, he's just not gonna make it. I had friends of mine that were NICU nurses. I had friends of mine that were OB nurses and they were, later on they told me, we just kept thinking, oh, poor Lisa, she has all this hope and it's just not gonna happen. He's just not gonna make it. And if he lives, basically he was going to be vegetative because no amniotic fluid, loss of oxygen, there are so many things that from a medical standpoint in the world that there should be so many complications. Um, Jaden just turned 11. And his story still touches me because I think what a privilege and honor that God, that God chose me to be his mom. His name plays a part in who he is, the DNA of who he is, that Jehovah has heard in his life, Jehovah he hears him, he, this connection. If you say something, he, he picks it up and it's like, well, we gotta pray about that. Jaden is just a miracle. <laughs>
He secured our eternity forever. His name is Jesus. Jesus literally means God is salvation. God is salvation. God saves us. He is our savior. If what we needed was more education, God would have sent a teacher. If what we needed was more money, God would have sent a banker. If what we needed was advice, God could have sent a psychologist. If what we needed was pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. If what we needed was another religion, God would have sent another guru. But God full very well knew that what you and I most desperately at the core of our being, that what we needed was salvation. So he sent a savior. We needed desperately to be saved. So he sent Jesus, our savior. Isaiah, 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, begins to speak of his coming, how he will come and how he will lead. He gives us these beautiful, powerful, descriptive names of who Jesus would be. Isaiah 9, verse 6, reads like this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, now let's say this together, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Tonight, as we've come to Christmas Eve 2021, we made it, y'all, 2021. I want to laser in on the name of Jesus, of how he will save as Prince of Peace. Would you agree with me that our world is in dire need of peace? We need peace in the world. The promise of every politician is world peace. The desire and wish of every beauty contestant and every rising philosopher is global peace. We yearn desperately for peace in a world ridden with problems. Peace in a world still marked by a pandemic. We are in need of peace. It doesn't take long on a given week as you scroll through news headlines. Your heart is awakened to the reality of brokenness and injustice and evil and darkness that still plagues the world. We are in need of this Prince of Peace. But I want you to know that this need for peace was always the case as soon as Adam and Eve sinned. It's not new. It has always been relevant as soon as Adam and Eve sinned. And the moment sin entered the picture, sin created a chasm between man and God, between humanity and God. It drew a distance between us and God. And soon, this distance between mankind and God began to draw a distance between people, between us and us. It would tear apart families. It would lead us on a downward spiral of injustice, evil, hatred towards one another. The world has long needed a prince of peace. Now, I imagine the nativity scene in your home is pristine and impeccable. It's probably in perfect condition. But you and I both know that the world into which Jesus, the Prince of Peace, entered was a world in greatly need of peace. It was a world in disarray, a world in chaos. It was a world that was anything but peaceful. Herod, Antipas, 
was king or ruler of Galilee during the birth and life of Jesus. And Herod is plainly known to be a murderer. He murdered his two kids, his wife. And as soon as he found out the news of a new king being born, he would lead a genocide, murdering hundreds of children. Herod's boss is Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus. Caesar did not have a biological son. So the talk of Rome in first century is about who will be the successor of Caesar Augustus. Who is going to assume his throne? Everything in Rome depended on who the next Caesar was. So this was a big deal. There were two options. It would either be Caesar's grandson that everybody loved, or it would be his stepson that nobody loved. Well, as history goes, the stepson would poison the grandson and assume the throne of Caesar. Not at all a peaceful transfer of power. This is a world in political chaos. At the same time, there is a civil war that's brewing. As Jewish men have taken the path of violent insurrection and uprising. And they are executing plans to overthrow the most powerful government in the world at that time. It is a world of religious disarray and chaos. As the Sadducees and the Pharisees who were supposed to be leading God's people cannot even agree on what is truth. Hundreds of Jewish people have fled to the mountains just to get away from the chaos that they are living in. Faithful Jewish men and women have given up. They have settled into despair. Why? Because it's been 400 years of absolute silence. Silence. No new word from God. No sighting of an angel. No telling of a prophet about the hope that they can have in God. Absolute silence. We sing about the silent night on which Jesus was born. Well, that one silent night came after 146,000 silent nights where God's people waited, first, I think, in anticipation, but then in distress and despair, imagining that they've been forgotten by God. We're told that it's the time of census into which Jesus was born, the census. Census would have been a trigger word of trauma to those who heard it. Because there's only two reasons for a census, a nationwide census. Either we're going into war and we need a national draft. Or Rome is going to increase our already high taxes. And so the census is causing every level of peace to be disrupted. And everyone is commanded by the government to return to the place of their birth. To do whatever they have to to go home to the place of their birth. I'm wondering tonight, how many of you were born in a place other than Dallas, Texas? Outside of Dallas. Let me see your hands. Yep, a lot of us. So was I. We weren't born in Texas, but we got here as soon as we could, right? <laughs> so imagine during the service tonight, you got a bing on your phone, a text message from the government saying that by this time next week, you have to return to the place of your birth, wherever that might be. Whether you can afford to or not, you got to get there. You may have to state, you may have to cross state lines or country lines or even go to a different continent and travel in this time. Now, that's not too unimaginable for us because travel is a little bit easier. But imagine in a world without personal cars, without rental cars, without Uber. Can you imagine a world without Uber? A world without commercial airlines. You have to do whatever it takes on foot or on a ship to get to the place of your birth. 
And here is Mary and Joseph, their predicament. She's nearly nine months pregnant. The only way to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem, the place of their birth, is either to walk or ride on the back of a donkey. So Mary and Joseph would travel from Nazareth about a 90-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem as they go south of the flatlands of the Jordan River, west across the hills of Jerusalem, and on to Bethlehem. It's a 90-mile journey. Over a week it would take or more to get to Bethlehem. And during this 90-mile journey, they're having to watch out for wild animals. They're having to keep their eyes out for bandits and thieves and robbers who were very common along the way. But they're on an incredible, peaceless journey. All the while, the scandal of this unwed pregnancy is hovering over them. Perhaps they're wondering, will people even believe our story that Mary has been conceived by the Holy Spirit? Will they even receive this son, this child of theirs? What is the fate of this child? They get to Bethlehem, and as you know the story, it's sold out. The hotel's in. There's no room for them. Not even a decent place to give birth to the Messiah of the world. So they lay majesty down in a manger. They lay the creator in a cradle. The son of God, the savior of the world in a borrowed stable. Where animals would come and find their shelter. And it was there on that night in the midst of chaos, uncertainty, weariness, a long-awaited moment that our Christ was born. I'm just thinking, after all of that, Mary and Joseph are exhausted, and there comes a little drummer boy ready to play a song for them. I think that would have been the last straw for Mary. I'm like, seriously, we could have managed everything else but this. You would think the chaos is over, but it is not. Jesus, when he's in his terrible twos, Mary and Joseph are having to flee Bethlehem as they hear Herod's edict that any son born around the time of Jesus have to now be killed. So they're fleeing as a refugee family from Bethlehem all the way to Egypt, living as a foreigner in a foreign land. I say all of that to tell you that the time into which Jesus came, the time into which the Prince of Peace arrived, was a world that was anything but peaceful. It was political chaos. It was religious disarray. It was a time of uncertainty and chaos brewing all around them. That actually gives me hope because it tells me that God is fully aware of our need for peace. That tonight, whatever storm is brewing in your heart, whatever fills you with anxiety and guilt, whatever fills your heart with stress, God knows you. He knows the peace you need in your soul. He knows the peace you need in your heart. He knows the peace you need in your marriage, in your kid's life, in your family. He fully well knows the peace that you desperately, that I, we desperately need. As Isaiah begins to prophesy about this prince of peace, Isaiah uses the word prince, which means the person of peace. Because Jesus would not be someone who just comes and scatters peace around the world. No, no, no. He wasn't just the giver of peace. He was the very prince, the very person of peace. Meaning that you can't have peace without him. He is our peace. That's what Paul was saying in Ephesians 2 verse 14. That Jesus, he himself is our peace. 
You can't look anywhere else for the peace that you direly need. He is our peace. Isaiah describes this peace in the Hebrew word shalom, the prince of shalom. Shalom is one of the most beautiful names in the world. It means a peace that is whole, complete, full. Nothing broken, nothing lacking, nothing missing. Absolutely perfect. Can you imagine a world like that? You can look, scroll down all day long on the headlines, and it's full, complete, nothing broken. Shalom is better than a temporary fix. It's better than any peace a weekend program. It's better than any peace that a party could produce or a policy could craft. It is an undisturbed peace deep within. This is what Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to give us, this kind of a shalom peace. Maybe you're here tonight and you're wondering, what does that look like? Where does it begin? How can I get in on that kind of a peace? Because our human story would cry out with absolute agreement that we are in need of peace. Well, friend, can I just tell you tonight that that peace we all long for begins with peace with God. The peace that we long for, this shalom kind of peace, a forever peace, begins as peace with God. This is a spiritual peace. This is an eternal peace that can never be lost. What disrupted peace foundationally was what we call sin. Sin disrupted peace. Sin can be defined by the middle letter I. So when I am in charge of my life, when I am on the throne of my soul, I push God out of the picture and I make decisions that I want to please my desires, my flesh, my appetite. It is when I am on the throne and rather than loving God and loving people, sin causes us to love ourselves and only seek the benefit of our self. It's been said that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than what you're willing to pay. But the good news for all of humanity who at one point in their life were in bondage to sin is that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came. And he came to give us peace with God. He came to liberate us from the bondage, the chain that that sin wrapped around our soul. Do you remember the words of the angel given to Joseph as Joseph is trying to discreetly exit the scene? As he is silently trying to separate himself from Mary. Notice what the angel told Joseph in Matthew 1, verse 21. She, meaning Mary, will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Right here at Bentry, we boldly sing about the name of Jesus. We preach the name of Jesus. We cherish and celebrate the name of Jesus because his very name declares to us that we are forgiven, that he is our Savior who forgives our sins, that he forgives us, he cleanses us. It was on the eighth day, the New Testament writers say, that when Jesus was presented at the temple on the eighth day as he was circumcised, that he was officially given the name Jesus. The prophets had told about it, but officially the name Jesus was given on the eighth day at the temple when the first blood of Jesus 
was spilled on the temple ground. And in that moment, as the perfect, divine, pure blood of Jesus was shed on the eighth day as an infant, he was named Jesus. He saves people from their sins. This infant Jesus would grow into adulthood. He would live a perfect life. He would love with a perfect love. He would reach out to those on the margins of society, to those who were discounted by religion, to those who felt like they had no hope. He would love them. He would cause hope to arise in their heart. But all that he did, all those he loved, it did not lead him to human accolades or celebration. It led him to a cross, to an old rugged cross, where for eight hours or six hours, Jesus would hang on that old rugged cross. And there he will shed his very last ounce of blood. Why? Because there could be no forgiveness of sins without the spilling of his perfect blood. And there on the cross, Jesus would do what his name had always declared. He forgives us of our sins. Because of Calvary, Jesus forgives us of our sin. If sin was a debt, Jesus was born to pay that debt. If sin was separation from God, Jesus was born to bring us, to reconcile us to God. If sin means breaking God's standard or his law, Jesus was born so that he, our substitute, could meet God's standard perfectly. And we will be declared not guilty because he was righteous. If sin is a stain, the blood of Jesus would wash us clean of the stain of sin. If sin is bondage, Jesus was born to be our freedom. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. If sin leads to death, that Jesus was born, he lived, he died, so that through his death, he could defeat death. And he could overcome the power of death. And on the third day, he would rise as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He is a risen Savior. This is Jesus. And Paul would say like this in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, meaning we have been cleansed, we have been declared free, forgiven. Our payment has been made because we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. You and I, to the finished work of Jesus, we are given peace with God. If you're anything like me, at some point in our life, we have tried to find this peace in so many wrong places. We try to earn it, work for it, try to be religious enough, good enough to try to get this peace. Maybe you've turned to money or accolades or illicit relationships, trying to find something that would fill the void. And at the end of the night, at the end of the weekend, at the end of the journey, you're realizing, I still got a void for peace. Because the peace that you and I, darling, need begins with peace with God. And it is only by turning to this Jesus that we have come to sing about, the coming of Christ God in flesh, that we receive this peace. And the moment, get this, the moment that you are at peace with God, that peace begins to overflow. It first overflows into self. So peace with God, second of all, leads to peace with self. Peace in your own self. This is an emotional peace. This is an internal peace. 
Because it's possible even tonight that you could be a believer. You've trusted Jesus for your salvation. But there are deep wounds that still paralyze you. There are fears and guilt and shame that still hovers over you. But the good news of Jesus, who is the ultimate prince of peace, is that the moment you are at peace with God in your soul, you now have the peace of God in your heart. The moment you're at peace with God in your soul, spiritually at peace with God, you now have the peace of God in your heart. The Christ who died for you now dwells in you. His peace, his joy begins to rule over your hearts, as Paul would say in Colossians 3, that the peace of Christ now begins to reign and rule in your life, in your emotions, in your heart. Jesus said it like this in John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Can you imagine that the, the peace of Jesus, his very tranquility and peace he gives to you. I do not give you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Friend, Jesus doesn't just want to save you. His peace wants to heal the wound deep in your soul. His peace will wash over your regret. It'll restore your joy. Why? Because Jesus is not in the business of repairing people. He is in the business of making you new. Covering you with his righteousness. Embracing you as his brother, his sister. The father bringing his arms around you and calling you child. This is the deep soul peace. The deep heart peace we need. Peace with God. That leads to peace with self. It gets even better than that. Lastly, this peace overflows as peace with others. Peace with God, peace with self, and peace with others. The Prince of Peace begins to put in order relational peace, external peace. Because once you've been forgiven by God, you can't help but extend this forgiveness to others. Once you have tasted what radical love and extraordinary grace is like, you can't help but dispense this grace and this love to the world around you. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other how? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Here's the invitation of what peace with others looks like. The relational peace that we desperately need the peace in the world that we need comes when you have peace with God peace with yourself and now you become a giver of peace the whole direction of your life changes once you've experienced the eternal peace of God this internal peace of God you become a peacemaker you become a peace messenger once you have been reconciled through Christ to the Father you now become a reconciler in our world John 16, verse 33, Jesus would say it like this, and I love this. I have told you these things, he says, so that in me you may have peace. Here's a reality check. In the world, you will have trouble. Isn't that true? But take heart, because I have overcome the world. You can take heart. Jesus is not naive of the realities of our world. He knows the brokenness, the mess, the tragedies around our world. And one day it all will be well. 
Because this baby born in Bethlehem will visibly return as the king of kings, as the prince of peace. So on this Christmas Eve, as we look back at the first coming of Jesus, we also look forward with great anticipation at the moment that this Christ, the king, returns. But until then, there will be trouble, there will be sorrow, there will be sickness But Jesus is saying, in the world you will have trouble, but even then in me you can have peace. Because this peace is better than the absence of a storm. It's the presence of an almighty God in the midst of the storm. Jesus is prince of peace. Do you need him to be that for you tonight? Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins. Maybe you've been looking for it. Maybe you've been longing for it. Maybe you have yet to experience it. Perhaps you knew what it was once to be at peace with God, at peace with self and peace with others, but something has happened that has drawn a distance. And if you're here tonight, though you may feel far from God, he is not far from you. He came for you, he came to you, and he's inviting you into a journey that begins with having peace with God. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me tonight. If there's someone here or joining us online who have yet to experience peace with God, I want to lead you in a simple prayer that can begin that for you. There's nothing magical about the words that you're going to pray, but there is something miraculous about the posture of your heart. Because in this prayer, you are exchanging your turmoil for his peace. Your sins for his forgiveness. Your guilt for his grace. Your mistakes for his mercy. It's a posture of surrender, of submission, of yielding. Saying, Jesus, I desperately need you to be my prince of peace. I'm not okay with just you being the prince of peace for the world. I need you to be my prince of peace. My savior, my salvation. If that's you, will you just... Maybe in the quietness of your heart, say these words with me. Jesus, I need you. Help me. Save me. Be the peace that I desperately need. I believe that you came. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose from the grave. You are Savior and Lord. I trust you. I count on your righteousness. I dethrone myself off of my soul and I ask that King Jesus reign on my soul. Give me peace. Let it begin now. Bring me peace with God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, I believe that your name is written in heaven that you have been saved, that Christ is dwelling in your heart, giving you a new life. And I encourage you tonight, tell somebody about it. Join us in the prayer room at the Welcome Center and let somebody know that maybe for the first time you've prayed to place your faith in Christ. There is a celebration happening, even if one person puts their faith in this Christ. We would love to walk alongside of you, celebrate with you, pray with you, help you take your next steps. Let us know down here up front or here across the lobby. Now, the truth is that without the coming of Christ, the world would be in perpetual darkness. The world would remain 
in darkness. No hope for the forgiveness of sins. No chance at eternity. No answer for the longing of peace we have. No new beginnings. No hope at all. But into utter darkness came light. His name is Jesus. Even in Isaiah, earlier on in Isaiah 9, Isaiah looking forward to the coming of Jesus would say that when this Messiah comes, that he will bring great light into great darkness. Even for those who are living in the shadow of death, light will dawn and life will arise. That's exactly what happened. Jesus came and he brought a dark world, incredible light. John would say that in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And across the last 2,000 years, since the life and message of Jesus, that has been so true. Do you know that every one of the values we hold dearly to were inspired by the life of Jesus, by the message of Jesus? Values like humility, forgiveness, unconditional love, justice, equality, compassion, benevolence. Mercy, serving one another, all of that because the life of Jesus was light to all of humanity. Jesus himself said, anyone who follows me will no longer live in darkness, but he or she will have the light of life. And if you're tonight, here tonight and you've placed your faith in Christ, you have lasting light in you. Your guilt has been removed, your shame removed. You have lasting life and lasting light in your soul. He's forgiven you of your sins, given you eternal life. He has given you power, power to make a difference, power to love, power to forgive, power to live the life that he calls you to live. He is your light. The same Jesus who said about himself that he is the light of the world would say to his followers, would say to you and I, that you now with his light shining deep, burning deep in you, that you, you're the light of the world. We together are the light of the world. So tonight, we have this beautiful tradition of lighting our candles. And here is little Jaden with me. Hey, Jaden. You are an incredible light. Thank you. The message that God has given you with your story. So we're going to light each other's candle. And as our servant leaders come to the end of your rows and begins to light your candle, I want to ask that you begin to spread this light to the person standing next to you. Let's illuminate this room, this auditorium with light. And you know what? If you're at home, dim your lights and light a candle. Turn on your smartphone flashlight maybe. And let light shine. Let's sing Silent Night.